there's about 35 parables in the Bible. Uh, we're just going to take a handful of them and teach through them. Uh, but I want to really, instead of just, here's a parable and, and this is the application to it, uh, there was all these te- teaching behind it of why did, he, how, why did he give this parable in this moment with this group of people for this reason? And I, th- I think it's important for us to uh, understand the setting of it and what's going on in the atmosphere. Like if I came in here and gave an illustration of, uh, I, I, I don't know, of, of building a stage or whatever, it make application to us because our church is in the middle of this. So if I say, this is where we're going to have church, you'd be like, oh, that makes sense because we're in the process of doing that. So Jesus was taking what they were going through at the time and making application in such a way that they would get it. God wants us to get it. We went to Sight and Sound Theater, and it's one of our favorite things to do. And I, I talked about Ruth last week and how they're bringing some of the plays to Ohio. Uh, but a few years ago, right before COVID, they did The Life of Christ. And, uh, and, and I just I think they're just really creative of how they, how they uh, teach the, the life of Christ. And for, how many of you guys were there? Raise your hand if you were there. So you know what I'm talking about. So uh, they had Jesus teaching parables. And as he did it, they just did such an amazing job of having him sit on the side of this hill and, and, and the kids coming up to him and they're laughing and him standing up and he's telling these stories, but he was just like this master communicator. Because sometimes I think we just portray Jesus as like this lecture, but he was so creative of how he communicated. And the Bible says, and we're, I just want to talk through what is, a, a, what is a parable and why does this make application to us? How can we learn from this? And the Bible says in Mark 4, 2, and he taught them many things by parables. And he said unto them his doctrine. And so he used the parable. So the question is, what is a parable? Um, and I know a lot of us that have grown up in church, you're kind of familiar with that. But kind of let's dig into it a little bit. It's a statement or a brief story taken from daily life that portrays something spiritual or some sort of spiritual truth. Um, a parable is something literally cast alongside of something. So uh, there's a lot of definitions that we do it, but we're going we're gonna to tell stories. We're going to give illustration of it. You know, we know the parable uh, of the lost son, uh, of the prodigal son. We know that, of the lost coin and the, the, the wineskins and things like that. So he would be like, hey, I'm going to tell you the parable of the cell phone. I'm going I'm to take this and I'm going to teach a, a story along with this. And I'm going to help you guys to understand it because it's something you deal with in everyday life. So it was a visual. It was uh, an illustration. But when he said it was cast alongside of something, he was going to give them this truth, but then he was going to give them this visual that went alongside of it for them to be like, ah, oh, okay, I get this. So I, was, I had a family over to my house. The Wilsons came over uh, this past week, and we actually got into a discussion, and he was asking me the question, not have any idea that we were going to be doing this. But he said, what is a parable? Because oftentimes Jesus taught in such a way that he intentionally didn't want everybody in the crowd to get it. Did, did everybody know that? And so the question is, why did he do it that way? So we, we want to get into this. Um, it's neat to see how Jesus made teaching so simple. Because you think about it, if Jesus was God, and God is Jesus, you know, where they're part of the Trinity, then, then, then we can understand that he understood the DNA of mankind. Yeah. I mean, you think about it, if somebody was going to go deep, if somebody really wanted to blow our minds, it could have been Jesus. We could have, they could have just been like, wow. And then somebody would have walked away going like, I have no idea what that was about. I have no idea what he was saying. But they would have been like, that has to be Jesus because who could teach? Who could use such big words like that? But is that what Jesus did? Nope. No. 
No, not at all. Actually, the carpenter, the, 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 um, the farmer, whoever was there, uh, he wanted them to get this. And so for a time in his ministry, Jesus relied heavily on parables. Uh, he told many of them, but according to Mark 4.34, he did not uh, say any of them uh, at the end without using parables. He, he started teaching, but he got to the point where he was primarily using this. And it says in verse 34, And without parables spake he not unto them. And when he was alone, were alone, he expounded all things to his disciples. So uh, he, he used this in such a way to, and I want to explain this of why he did this. Uh, in the early part of his ministry, Jesus did not use parables, but it grew where he exclusively used them in this way. Uh, and they, the disciples started asking this question, why are you doing it this way? And when, when we had this the discussion in my house the other day, that was the thing. It was like, okay, he used parables, but why did he do it in such a way and not always give the application? So let's go through this. And I just want to teach Jesus' teaching when he gave this because he said, I'll explain it to you. I'll let you know. And it says in verse 10, And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou to them in parables? So literally the question was like, why are you doing this? You know, tell us why you're doing this. I want, to, I want to know why you're doing this. And he answered and said to them, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but unto them it is not given. So he's literally dividing line, and he said, this isn't for everybody. And, and there's a reason for it, because some wanted just to be able to take the things that he said and cause problems. They weren't all there to grow. We're uh, going to see, because part of our study tonight, we're going to study, study the Pharisees. The Pharisees did not come in and like, oh, dear Jesus, teach us something powerful that's going to change our lives. They were standing off to the side going, oh, we're going to trap him. And oh, what did he just say? And oh, we can use that against him. So we had this opposition uh, to him. So uh, it was not just a matter of Jesus saying, I don't want them to get it. Or he was trying to hide the truth. Uh, but he knew that some of them followed just to entrap Jesus with what he was saying. In verse 12, for whosoever hath to him it shall be given... He shall have more abundance, but whosoever hath not, from him it shall be taken away, even what he hath. Uh, so he was talking about that some of them are going to hunger and thirst after righteousness. They're going to want to know more. And that's what the disciples were. That's why when they were done, the disciples came right up to him and said, what was that about? And he's like, I'm glad you asked. I want to tell you. I want you to know these things. He said, therefore, I speak unto them in parables, because they seeing, see not. And hearing, they hear not, neither do they understand. Jesus was saying, if I speak about the parable of the sower, they're going to hear this story about a physical sower of what he did, but they're going to miss the spiritual message. They're only going to hear part of it. But he was saying, they don't see, they don't hear. Now, I'll ask you guys a question. Does that still happen today? Yeah. It, it happens all the time. Uh, we hear a message that is preached, and then we get offended because we only hear that part that agitated us rather than this. Uh, I had this happen I don't know when it happened. Somebody just told me that it happened, so I don't even know this. And they said, yeah, we know so-and-so, a friend of mine, but they said they'll never come back to this church. And I'm like, what? They said, because of what you preached. And I said, I can't, what did, what did I say? I'm curious. I'm like, what did I say? That They said, because you got up that one Sunday and talked about how God hates people that are divorced. And I'm like, nope, I never said that. <laughs> I can promise you, I don't know what they heard. And <laughs> I can promise you, those words never left my mouth. But if I had mentioned divorce, or if I had mentioned anything dealing with it, and I just gave it to what the Scripture said, they heard what they wanted to hear, rather than what I actually said. 
And, and, and that's where the, the Bible says that the word of God is quick and powerful. It's alive. It speaks to our hearts. Our, our spirit bears witness with his spirit that we are the son of God. My spirit bears witness with your spirit. We communicate, and the spirit of God is working through some of this. And, and so it's important. That's what he was saying right here. He said, there's some they are going to hear, but they're not going to hear. I'm going to show them, and they're not going to see it. And so that's why we have so many people that are so upset about things that happen today because they're spiritually blinded. And that's why the Bible, when he describes Satan's attack, he said Satan had blinded the minds of them that believe not. And so he said this in verse 14, And in them it is fulfilled a prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing shall see, and not perceive. So he's saying, this isn't new. He said, I knew this. That there would be blinded hearts, that man would be carnal, that they would, they, they would uh, reject this. And then he goes into verse 15 and he starts exposing their con- spiritual conditioner, condition that they were going through. He said, for the people's hearts wax gross. Okay, they, they're going to grow carnal. It literally means that the increase in fatness. They're just, they, they're not going to get it. They're going to be feeding their flesh and not their heart. Their ears are dulled to hearing. Their eyes have, are closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart, should be converted unto them that I should, uh, should heal them. Uh, they're going to grow carnal. They're going to drift from God. They're only going to hear what pleases them. And, and, and that's why when, when people sit in church and you can talk about lifestyles or what's going on in the world or whatever, even with like, wait till to see how controversial abortion gets, guys. Wait, we get to November 8th and people are like, even with things that I say, the church shouldn't get political. I'm being biblical, not political. And that's the thing that people are not understanding. We're talking about murdering babies and and making that decision is not a political decision. That is a biblical thing that, that goes back to scripture. And yes, we should have a voice and speak up and speak out. And then they turn it and twist it into we have no compassion for people that have been raped. And they run with that narrative, making us look like these people that just have no compassion for people that are going through that. Saying just twist these things. And that's what he was saying. They have ears, but they, they, they don't have a heart to understand that, that, that I, I can't work in their life because they're rejecting the truth. And then he speaks to the ones that are wanting to hear. And he says in verse 16, but blessed are your eyes. For they see in your ears, for they hear. It says that they get it. You hear that. The word of God touches their heart, convicts it, and says, what must I do to change? What do you want me to change in my life? He said, for verily I say to you that uh, many of the prophets and the righteous men have desired to see those things which you see and have not seen them, and to hear those things which you hear and have not heard them. Jesus said this is, this is a special time that he's bringing this revelation to them and unveiling this and teaching this. The Son of God, greater than any prophet that has ever lived, Jesus came to reveal the truth and unveil something different. Okay, he's going to unveil something different. Let me tell you, when you preach something new, people reject it. When you preach something different, and that's what the whole parable that we're going to study today is, is getting into. Jesus came to reveal the truth that they're lost, that they need him, that the blood and bulls and goats is not going to be enough anymore. And so here, he was unveiling this. So he said, and we're not that we're getting into this one, but just for sake of illustration, then he says, hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. So he goes through this whole thing about 
how there's people that are not going to want to hear the truth. They're going to reject it. Their hearts are hardened. But I'm going to lay it alongside of that so that those that see it will pick it up and be like, tell us more. Teach us more. Like, pull us into this. Explain what this means. Feed our hearts. And then he says, all right, I'll tell you a story. And then he gets in the parable of the sower. So Jesus explained that the use of parables had two purposes. One, to reveal the truth to those who wanted to know it. So for those that wanted to know it, just like the disciples were like, Lord, teach us, especially after the parable of the sower. And one of the reasons why I'm not doing that one is because I just did that when I preached through Mark. It was just in our expository study, so I didn't, I, I didn't include that in this. But the second thing is to conceal the truth for those that were indifferent. It was just like, I, I'm, I'm not going to uh, start a war with this. Uh, Jesus had this problem that he had to deal with because uh, the more that people followed him and heard him say that I am the son of God, what was their reaction for most of them? They wanted him dead. He was a heretic. He was, he was going against God. He was claiming to be something, and which is crazy is he was literally raising the dead and doing all these things. So a lot of the things that Jesus did, he would tell them after he did something, go and tell no one. Has anybody ever thought how weird that is? Because I used to struggle with that a lot. I'm thinking, no, go tell everybody. <laughs> you know, like, but the thing was, Jesus said this, and this, he was strategic in what he's doing. Uh, in, in John 8, 20, these words spake Jesus into the treasury, and he taught them in the temple. And no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. So he was going to go teach, heal, spread, train, evangelize, and then step out. But he, he had to be strategic in such a way that he went to the next city. They weren't ready to crucify him because his hour was yet not come. That's why when he healed, he, he, he did it in such a way to conceal who he was or to the, uh, the propaganda of what was going to be said about it. And, and then we get into John 6, 32, or 16, 32, and he said at the end of it, he said, Behold, behold the hour cometh, yea, is now come. He, he said, okay, all this time I was like, not yet, not yet, not yet. Passover comes. He comes in on the donkey. They lay down the palm leaves. It's, they're celebrating, get ready for the Passover. Go prepare the Passover. He sits down with them, has it. Uh, he introduces the new covenant that he's going to do, explaining that he would take their place. All of that was strategy, just lining up, showing that he was the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. And so Jesus had to teach with parables to allow his deep truth to be out there without causing issues that would have caused him to uh, make things happen before it was time. And, and a lot of them, they just weren't ready for it. These deep things, they were, he was slowly teaching these things. It's kind of like if you ever take a new convert out, and it's fun. I, I got to do this a number of times recently, and it's so much fun to do this. Uh, but they were like asking me questions like, how do you pray? Do you know how much fun it is to teach somebody that is a new Christian how to pray? But if I would have said, hey, let's not talk about that right now. I, I want to take you to the uh, four horsemen of Revelation. <laughs> You'd be like, uh, no, 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 no. And I think in essence, a lot of this, what Jesus was doing is he was teaching these truths, but he was giving them just enough for them to grow with without overwhelming them as they got into it. So we get into this one. And it's the new wineskins and, and the clothes patches. Uh, and, and really, those are everyday things that he's using to teach. And like I said, he used the lost son. He used wineskins. He used patches on clothes. He used sowing seeds. He used the lost coin. 
all these different things, but they were things that were literally just a sermon illustration, you know, that he was using. But he pulled them in and captivated with the story and the way that he taught it. Uh, but Jesus had this challenge as he was teaching and doing everything with the Pharisees. So much of his ministry dealt with the Pharisees. And uh, as, as we walk through the Gospels of Jesus, you're going to see there's the, the, the work of Jesus, and then there was the opposition of the Pharisees, and they're interwoven within each other. And, and so uh, let's get into our passage tonight. And I'm going back to the beginning of the party rather than just jumping into the teaching of Jesus. I want you to see what was going on here in Levi. Now, Levi was another name for Matthew. So Matthew, Levi, made him a great feast in the house, uh, in his own house. And there was a great company. Okay, so this is kind of going to with James. Who's here? What's going on? What's the setting here? I want you guys to picture this. Bunches of people. I don't know how many. They're a bunch of people. Okay, there's publicans that is mentioned here. Uh, there's others that sat down with them. And the Bible says, and their scribes and Pharisees murmured against the disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? Okay, so let's just lay this out. Uh, Matthew's holding this feast. Tons of people are there. You've got the publicans. You've got others and the scribes and the Pharisees and this great company. So I want to break down who these people are because I want you to see the dynamic of this party. Have you ever been in a situation that was kind of like um, tense? You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like being at a family reunion or something like that, and there's like the falling out, but they're there, and you didn't know they were going to show up, and just makes things tense. Let me just say, this party was tense. You know, you can imagine as, as, as they shunned the sinners, and they, they, they just had this, I'll explain, I'm getting ahead of myself. And then these Pharisees come in, and they're standing there kind of looking and staring down at everybody, and then Jesus gets up to teach. It wasn't just Jesus was like, you know, like, I should say something. He was like, ah, oh, Perfect setup. Let me, let me go into this. It says, But the scribes and Pharisees murmured against the disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink, fellowship, spend time, sit down, invite in your house? Are you crazy? With these publicans and these sinners. So, so let's write that the scribes were the people that were in charge of the writings. So, so they would be like the librarians, if you will. If they, they, they kept charge of this and they would transcribe it. So they were really close to the, the Pharisees. They knew the scriptures. So you can imagine, it's just that something, when, and I, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of the history. So you can imagine a lot of things start out good. And then man, 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 man adds to it, pinions, all these things, and they complicate things. And slowly you push out God to make it your agenda rather than God's agenda. And, and so I think at the core of them, they started out with sincerity and things, but then they got it to where nobody could ever level up to having a relationship with God or whatever. And that's why they, you think about it. It's like they're ministering to sinners. And they come in and say, who do you think you are doing this? It's like they lost the opposite of what Jesus was. And Jesus ate with publicans and sinners. So you can imagine that Jesus was not happy about this. So uh, the publicans, they were there at the party. They were tax collectors who collected the taxes from the Romans. They were paid well, but they had to work for the enemy to get paid. Uh, they were despised among their own. They were, they were rejected people. They, so they were not popular whatsoever in this setting. So, wow, what a houseful, okay? You got, and, and the one verse says, and others. I can't remember which one it says. And, and it says, and publicans and others sat down with them, okay? So you have a hodgepodge here. 
So uh, you can imagine, uh, and that's what I would, just want you guys to imagine the, the atmosphere. You've got sinners, you've got the publicans, the tax collectors. It's kind of like they all show up and like, who, what? Did you know they were going to be here? You know, you just this atmosphere. And then the Pharisees walk in, and Jesus is in the middle of this, and Matthew's hosting this. And uh, so Jesus has this bold reply. And Jesus answering said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call righteous, but sinners to repentance. Mic drop. Wow. It's like, whoa. He, he just drops this in the middle of them, and he goes, That's why I'm here. And I think there's so, I, I, I have to be careful because when I do things like this, it makes me want to stop and just teach on this because there's so much for us to learn. It's like going out of our way to help people that are, are messed up and falling short and having issues. And, 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 and for us all to have the mindset that those that are whole need not a physician, that those that are sick. Something that I did that I made a decision about of, uh, on Sundays, that, and I've had people with mixed emotions about it and stuff like that. I just felt like it was what I should do. But on Sundays, I come back to this room, and I, I give an open invitation to anybody that is a guest or first time or hasn't been there for a while to come back and meet me. And what it does, I don't want it to make it look like I'm unapproachable to everybody else. That's not my intention. You guys know that I, I love hanging out. I love when we fellowship and all those kind of things. Anybody, I, 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 that's my heart. But I don't know that those that are whole need not a physician. Not, I'm not the physician, by the way. Okay, so everybody was like, wow, he thinks he's something. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm, I want to find those that are hurting. Lost people don't go to church by accident. If they're here, they're searching. If they are here, they're, they're hungry for something. And just because my position as a pastor, I have an opportunity for them to reach out to talk to me more than they would talk to anybody else because they built a rapport with me as I preached on something. And so for me, it's an opportunity to have an extended invitation. And people say, he's all about the new people. I, I want you to say he's about lost people. That's, that's the heartbeat of what I want you to say. And, and it's not about what he's doing. I'd love for you to sign up to be in the room and help and to pray. And I'm telling you, sometimes, with no exaggeration, these guys can tell you, sometimes we're in here for an hour after the service with no exaggeration, none whatsoever. And I praise God for it. It is awesome. We see people come to know Christ. We have people talk to us about baptism. I've had people more times than I can count just break down and weep. So what Jesus is about to drop this bomb about what he's doing, he's, he's setting the stage that this is why I'm here. This is what I do. Get on board. Understand the heart of why I'm doing this. So it's so important. So they, so they have an argument. They're like, okay. And they said unto him, why do the disciples John fast often? And they make prayers and likewise the disciples of the Pharisees. But, but thine eat and drink. He said, oh, okay, he said, like, we, we have all these rules about how we should be fasting and praying, and you, your guys are just pigging out. They're the opposite of this. And he's trying to say, for you being such a man of God, then your disciples aren't following the law or the traditions or doing those kind of things. And Jesus goes into this passage, we'll get into in a minute, and he begins to say, you don't, you don't fast and pray when you go to a party, Okay. And just so you guys know, in life, even when, when uh, uh, Christians fast and pray for things, 
I'll, I'll plan things that I'm doing about fasting and praying around times that I know it's not going to be my kid's birthday because if it's my kid's birthday, I'm not going to sit there at the table and be like, I'm not eating, I'm fasting for the heathen of the world. You know, just like, I, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm, go, I'm going to order a steak and get ice cream. That's what I'm going to do because there's a time for that, but then there's a time to celebrate. And Jesus drops his bomb into them and says, they're at a party because they're celebrating the bride of Christ, that he is the groom. And he starts alluding to that like they can't because they're basically at a party because they're spending time with the master. Anyways, jumping ahead. Uh, so let me explain the Pharisees. And I think you guys did an outstanding job. When they were in captivity and they sinned and they had all those issues right there, they felt as if they did that because they were not following strict enough to the law of Moses. And because they did not follow the law of Moses enough, when they got out, there were certain groups of them that just said, hey, listen, can we band together and just decide we're never going to do that again? We're going to follow. What does is, what is the law of Moses say? Okay, write that down. What else does it say? Write that down. We're going to do it to the umpth degree. And then they started adding to it. Uh, for for uh, Later on, they determined to go, never go into this again. So they would follow and honor God, his commands, and never be held captive again, and they would enjoy the blessings of God rather than being in bondage again. And so the Pharisees then developed the strong influence of being these people that went all out. Uh, how they looked, how they prayed, how they fasted, how they knew scripture, and all these things. But it was outward, it was exaggerated, and they began to add to it and make it weightier. Uh, they would weigh them down with these things, and they would make it very public, and it was very prideful. They would draw attention to themselves. It was no longer humility. So they would do a certain act of fasting where they were doing the spiritual thing, but their heart was far from God because they did it with arrogance. And so it was just a matter of them going through the motions of things, and God's not about us doing the motions of things. They wanted the people to look at them as spiritual and special, uh, for, for them to be held to a, a standard of being righteous. And they created a very strong influence among the people because they were such strong moral examples. And so as they were doing this, uh, they had the reputation of being holier than everybody else, but they built up their traditions. If whatever they were doing, they would add to it to where the point was they began to hold the traditions of man above even the traditions of God. There were certain things that God said not to do for the Sabbath day to be a day of rest, but then they would start taking it further than what even God said. And so Jesus wasn't against their traditions. He was against making their traditions law. So Jesus was like, if you want to wash your hands that way, go wash your hands that way, but don't yell at that guy for washing, that he's not washing his hands that way. Can, can I just interject something as we're doing this? And let me read this because it's Matthew 15, 3. But he answered and said to them, why do you also transgress the commandments of God by your traditions? And I mean, that was the thing. He, he said, you've, you've made laws greater than what God did. And, and now you've made it to where it's complicated for people. And, and let me just, let me ask you guys this question. Do we struggle with this today? Yep. We struggle with this today. Because we, with, with any kind of church setting like that, there's certain things that we do and then we, we, we end up doing it so much that we hold those things as gospel truths. I remember in church, and you guys will laugh at this stuff because we've all kind of gone through this together. I remember uh, when, we, when we got rid of the pews and with the chairs. 
I, ha I had people leave the church over that. I don't know if you guys know that. We had people that left the church over that. And they like, how dare you? We sit on benches. And I'm like, we just sit to hear the word of God. The command is to hear the word of God. <laughs> Who cares what you sit on? Because in the Bible days, they sat on rocks <laughs> and, and dirt and, 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 you know, stumps, you know. And so, and, and I remember people getting upset when we took out the big pulpit and I brought in the little one. And, and they were just like, what are we doing? Are we compromising? I'm like, compromising against what? <laughs> I'm like, well, we've always, there you go. There you go. And we start adhering to physical objects and traditions of things. And I said, you know what matters? Can I show you what the Bible says? Preach the word. That just holds the word. It's just a tool for me to hold the Bible for me to do it. And I know those things sound silly, but you got to think if you do something for so long a certain way, it gets ingrained in you in such a way that that's the right way to do it. So I only say that almost to defend the Pharisees a little bit just because they were so zealous to want to do the right thing. And I've found with a lot of people that adhere to some of these things the way we do it, they're just so zealous to want to do it the right way. It's, they, they have this heart and this passion for this. And so, but he said, just don't turn the commandments of God and, and raise your, uh, your traditions above those things. So, so Jesus responded with his illustration. So let's get back into this. And they said unto them, why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers? And likewise, the disciples of the Pharisees, but thine eat and drink. And he said unto them, can you make the children, the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? Do you realize how powerful that is? He's like, we're at a time that they're celebrating a feast of all of what God has done. But the day will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them and they shall fast in those days. He said, the party will be over and they'll get back to this. Such a cool illustration. And I, and I know uh, you're thinking, what does all of this have to do with the parables? The reason why I went so far back, because I went, you know, like went back and back and back and back, because I don't think we're fully going to understand the parable unless we understand the context. It's not going to make sense to us. It's just going to be patches on clothes and wineskins and wine. Um, it's coming into this. So here it is, next leaving. And then he says, and he spake unto them a parable. So he's casting along a story with a spiritual meaning. And remember, some are going to get it and some are not. And he's introducing this in such a way that he's going to teach spiritual truth, and, but the, he doesn't want the Pharisees to go like, capture him, get him now. But the, the one sitting there will be like, tell us more. So he's so strategic in what he does is, he says, let me tell you this. No man putteth a piece of new garment upon an old, if, uh, if, uh, if otherwise, when the both the new maketh a rent or stretches it or pulls it out of proportion, that piece which was taken out of the new garment with the old. So, this is a concept that I kind of grew up with. Did any of you ever have a patch on your jeans growing up? Okay. So uh, have you guys? I'm just curious. That is very much so my generation because they used to even get colored patches and use them as accents on our jeans and things like that. And I don't know if it was a, was it a poor thing or is it just a normal thing? It's a country thing. Okay, I grew up... And when we could get holes in our knees, uh, in our jeans, they would take that patch and my mom would iron on that patch and then we'd have new jeans again. Not really, but that's what she made us think. Um, 
but it would make things go. This patch was different. And he was using the illustration that if you take something that you've been wearing for a while, and then you take a new piece of material and you sew that patch, the old with the new, wet and it dries out, it's going to crunch up and it's going to distort the clothing because it's, it's not made for that. He said, you can't put the basic principles, you can't put the old with the new. And then he gets into a second illustration. And really, this is the same storyline. It's the same illustration. No man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine will burst the bottles and it be spilled, and the bottle shall perish. But new wine must be put into new bottles and both preserved. So they would use these animal skins, and they would sew them together, and they would take it that was soft and pliable and fresh, and he'd put the, the, the wine inside, or he'd put the grape juice, and as it expanded, the bottle would expand with it. But because it was the new wine with the new bottle, it would just grow together, and it would expand. And he said, now here's the thing. If you were to go now and take one of those bottles that had already been stretched out and dried out, and he said, you put the juice inside of that, when it goes to expand, what's going to happen? It's going to pop. You cannot put new material on old material and it work. You cannot put, and he's saying, you cannot put new wine uh, in old bottles. It's not going to work. So what is the point of what he's saying? What is the lesson? Jesus came during a time of the law. He was introducing the New Testament, a new covenant, a new way of life, a new way of sacrifice, a new way of worship, a new way of communion. He was introducing a new everything, and he had to tell them all, listen, guys, whether you're the type that takes the law too far or you're the sinners over here that you don't even adhere to it at all, he was talking to all crowds there that day. That's what's cool about it. Jesus was just literally, if you have an ear to hear, you guys can hear this too because you take this too far. And he says, and if you're not, he said, with the coming of the law, but he said, I'm here to introduce something brand new. Uh, And Jesus was explaining, you do not mix the old covenant with the new covenant. And I'm telling you, this is hard because everything was being so flipped. He was flipping everything upside down. But it wasn't a matter of Jesus destroying the law. He said, think not that I've come to destroy the law or the prophets. I have, come, I have not come to destroy, but to fulfill. The wages of sin is death. So their sacrifice had, had to be made, going all the way back to the Passover. But when John the Baptist introduced him, he said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. It wasn't a matter of him saying none of that matters. He was coming in to lay his life down to take our place to fulfill the law. He was the Passover lamb. So uh, you, you can, he was telling us about how we can't mix grace and the law. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, they didn't fully understand it. But I tell you, when they were getting it later, and they would take the new wine, and they would put it in, the, in, that, in that bottle, that image would pop in and understanding, wow, things are different now. We have to live differently. The same thing with the clothing patches, okay? The old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You can't mix the two together. It's a, the visual of the patch. It's like you can't patch up what God did. That's why when the veil was rent, he didn't just drop it. He ripped it in half, separating it. There's a new way to approach God. New way, meaning it's not by works of righteousness. It's not by sacrificing a lamb. It's not by the blood of bulls and goats. It's not by circumcision. It's not by all those things that they put the effort into. He says, remember ye not the former things, neither consider the old things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. I will do a new thing. Jesus did a new thing. 
And he's using this visual of understanding that you can't mix it. After the same thing manner, he took the cup. And when he had supped, saying, this is the cup of the New Testament. In my blood, do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. He was introducing the new way of life, the new way of fellowship and everything. But he said, even with that, I'm going to give you something that you're going to do that we even do as a church to be reminded of the new thing that he's doing. We are, they, we're used to being under the new covenant, but you got to think this was all new for them. They were going to struggle with this. Let me give you an example of this in Scripture because I think this is so important. We're, we're about to wrap this up. The Old Testament, they would run to a place to worship. Okay, they, they, you're talking about mixing the two things and, and, and Jesus doing a whole new thing as he was giving the illustration. They would, they would meet in a temple. They would go to a certain place. They had a place to pray, a place to worship, all those kind of things, a certain way to sacrifice and things. So the, the, Jesus is going to the highways and hedges, and he goes in, in John chapter 4 to the woman at the well. She figures out that you are a prophet. And while he's talking to her about being a prophet, the woman says, is it this mountain that we worship on? Because some say it's that mountain in they're going back and forth. Now, let me show you Jesus introducing the physical or the spiritual application to we're not going to mix. I'm going to do a whole new thing. And the woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet, and our fathers worshiped in this mountain. And ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto him, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when you shall neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship ye not... Uh, Ye worship, ye worship, ye know not what. Thank you. Here we go. <laughs> we know that we worship for salvation is of the Jews. For the hour cometh and is now when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh not to such worship him. God is such a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. In spirit and truth. So you talk about something different. She was making it about a place. So is it true that they say that is the correct place? We could go into there. There's a lot of history, a lot of things because of the uh, Samaritans and the division and stuff with them. But Jesus was saying, can I tell you that I'm going to do a new thing? And the new thing that I'm going to do is not going to matter about the place, but the spirit of God, and you're going to worship me in his spirit and truth. So let me put it like this. It doesn't matter if we worship God on Sundays in that building or this building because we've got the spirit of God living inside of us. And if this building burns down, we meet in the parking lot in a tent. And if the tent blows away, we can meet at my house. Okay, I don't know how we do that, but we could. And the Spirit of God would be working there just as much. Amen. But sometimes we try to mix the old with the new. And here's what happens in those situations. People will say, I hope the church is open. I really need to pray. And I'm like, I don't know where you're at, but you can do it right there. And I'm not saying that it's not something special about coming here. But sometimes in our minds, we start making it about physical stuff. But Jesus said to them that the Spirit's going to come and indwell in you and he, you know, make, us all, make all things new. He changed things. And that's what he's saying. Don't mix the two. It's, it's not a matter of, I want to get saved. Is the church open? No, where are you at? I'll come meet you in the parking lot of Walmart. You can accept Jesus Christ right there. And so it was just important for them to understand we don't try to mix these things. Here's the other application to even us. Do not try to mix your, the, the, your old life with your new life. And, and, and that's the thing. It's, it's the one. I'm going, to, I'm going to put the new spirit of God in my old life, and it's just not going to work. The two don't go together. 
That's why we have the image of baptism. It's not just a matter of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of you. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. It's different. Emphasize the word new. That's the whole point of the, of the wineskins and or the, the, the skins, and that's the whole point of the patches of that. Behold, I make all things new. Therefore, we are buried in baptism into death, like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one or love the other, else he will hold to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and mammon. You can't mix the two. So you think that there's no application to this. No, you can't. There's not a matter of worshiping God on Sunday and living another way on Monday. You can't mix the two. They don't go together the same way that the law and grace doesn't go together. And Jesus ends with this, and he says at the end of this, No man also have drunk the old wine straightway, desireth the new, for he saith the old is better. And Jesus even acknowledged at this, he says, this is going to be a struggle. This is going to be a struggle. He said, you can't be a certain way for all this time, and all of a sudden you just flip the script and you're okay with it. And guys, if, if you study the writings of Paul, they struggled bad. They struggled so bad. And they tried to mix it all the time. They were trying to mix circumcision with, you know, following this and rejecting this and adding this and all these different things. And Paul was constantly rebuking those things. He said, you're mixing the two. Guys, you can't mix the two. We have a new covenant and a new way of worshiping. And we have a new way of accepting Jesus Christ. The old things are passed away. All things have become new. But all of that wrapped around two illustrations, the patches and the new skins. And it's so powerful that God gave that illustration of just showing how drastically he's making things better.